I walk away from tonight's State of the Union address encouraged by President Biden's and Vice President Harris's commitment to healthy moms and strong babies. We're looking forward to further collaboration with the White House on key issues, including paid medical and family leave, making Medicaid postpartum extension permanent, reauthorizing newborn screening so we may continue to detect potential conditions before it's too late, and passing Momnibus to close gaps in care and transform the system for the better. We thank President Biden for the message we all just heard, and we are energized by the administration's commitment to the nation's moms and babies. That was Stacy Stort, President and CEO of March of Dimes. Stacy heads the organization leading the fight for the health of all moms and babies. Stort came to March of Dimes from United Way Worldwide, most recently serving as U.S. President of United Way, the nation's largest nonprofit organization. Stort spearheaded the transformation of United Way from a pass-through fundraiser to a leading organization for local community impact. Stacy is an experienced leader, having held a number of senior roles, including Chief Diversity Officer and Senior Vice President for the Office of Community and Charitable Giving at Fannie Mae, as well as President and Chief Executive Officer for the Fannie Mae Foundation. Stacy's passion for service is baked into her DNA, coming from a family focused on activism and service that she brings with her to the mission of the March of Dimes. I'm Ellen Kelsey, and this is the Business Group on Health podcast, conversations with experts on the most relevant health and well-being issues facing employers. Today, I'm speaking with Stacy Stort on the challenges of maternal mortality and the disparities we continue to see, and what employers can do to improve the health of moms and babies. Today's episode is sponsored by Ovia Health, the leading women's and families health solution, striving to make a happy, healthy family possible for everyone. Ovia Health has helped millions of families grow by providing evidence-based coaching, clinical modules, and education to improve maternal health outcomes, reduce healthcare costs, and ensure benefits are not only equitable and inclusive, but are built to support working parents. Stacy, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, I'd love to start with a little bit about you and orient the audience to who you are and why you got into the field that you're in. And as I understand it, you grew up in the civil rights era of the 1960s and your parents were activists and they were also involved in healthcare and providers themselves. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how that's influenced the work that you do today. Sure. You know, I did grow up in Atlanta, Georgia. My parents were both, um, had been trained as healthcare providers in different ways. Uh, my dad was a physician, a practicing physician for 50 years in Atlanta, went to um, Morehouse College, and he went to Howard University Medical School and was originally from Atlanta. My mother was trained as a pharmacist and actually worked early in her career as a pharmacist. Once she got married, she became a stay-at-home mom and then eventually went back into public service later on as we got older But and didn't return to being a pharmacist. But I did grow up in sort of a household that was sort of focused around where we had lots of conversations around health and health equity, for sure. My father was not only a physician, but he was president of the Atlanta branch of the NAACP during the 60s. If anyone knows about the civil rights movement, a lot of the services that were provided to uh, civil rights leaders like Dr. King and Reverend Abernathy and so many more 
Doctors often care for their health needs, for them and their family, or lawyers, uh, Black lawyers were the ones who provided their legal uh, services and things like that. So my dad was always very involved in the civil rights movement and, and kind of instilled in me a belief that it wasn't enough just to have a sort of professional career, but that you always had to be doing something to give back. I also remember, you know, growing up and at dinner, us talking a lot about health equity and the disparities that existed especially in general, but especially around health. My dad was also very involved in desegregating Grady Hospital during the 60s. And then ironically, later on in the 90s, um, I was appointed to the board of Grady Mm. and served on that board for seven years. So that was sort of a nice kind of turn of events Mm -hmm. (laughs) within my family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, these issues around um, health equity were a part of my life when I was early, but I didn't start my career in this space. I went to Georgetown undergrad, and then I went to University of Michigan for business school. And I was pretty much prepared to pursue a career in business and finance. And after Michigan, I worked on Wall Street, actually, for several years in New York. And then I worked for a smaller firm back in Atlanta for a a couple of years. And then I spent 17 years of my career at Fannie Mae, half of the time in the company in Atlanta and then in Washington, and then another half of that time as president and CEO of the Fannie Mae Foundation in Washington, D.C. And that was an amazing opportunity. And that's where my career sort of shifted from the corporate side of things to really being a leader, especially in the nonprofit space and the philanthropic space. And then from the Fannie Mae experience and the Fannie Mae Foundation experience, I left to go join United Way Worldwide. I was the head of global impact for a number of years and then also For about four years, I became U.S. president of United Way and oversaw the strategic direction of about 1,100 U.S. United Ways. And as most people, I think, know, United Way um, is the largest nonprofit in the country. And that was an amazing experience to see a nonprofit work at different levels of community, especially around the issues of education. I was very involved in health and very involved in financial stability for families. Those were our three main areas of focus. And then from United Way, I came to March of Dimes. So then coming to March of Dimes really was bringing it back to kind of where I started early in my life around health and health equity, which has been a wonderful way, I think, to spend these last five years of my career focusing on some of the things that my father used to and my my mother used to instill in me early on in my life. That's so impressive. Thank you for walking us through all that. And really amazing to hear just how the early days of your upbringing really did kind of plant these seeds and influence throughout your life. And you could say that it's in your DNA and you are destined to do what you're doing today. And just really fascinating to hear about the path that you've been on and where it puts you today, which is really, I think, the bulk of the conversation I'm eager to have with you. And it really is around maternal and infant health and sadly, mortality. I want to start with the latest report from the National Center for Health Statistics that showed a devastating increase in the number of maternal deaths in 2020, which was the first year of the pandemic. And we know that our maternal morbidity and mortality is the highest in the developed world here in the U.S. And there is so much more work that we need to do, especially in closing the gap for Black women and other women of color. So can you share some of the data about those disparities? Well, you know, it is quite disturbing that in the United States of America, we have some of the worst rates around maternal 
health and infant health as compared to other highly industrialized countries. Our rates of maternal mortality, women that die as a result of pregnancy and childbirth complications, has actually doubled over the past 25 years or so. And just as you mentioned, even in this last year, in 2020, the last year we have uh, data for, we saw a significant increase uh, of about 18% in maternal mortality in the United States. We've been experiencing these increases and it's quite disturbing. Um, I think the most important thing about it, though, is that it affects many women of different walks of life. It especially affects women of color, disproportionately so. So Black women, for example, in this country die at a rate of three to four times that of white women, Hispanic women, also saw a significant increase in 2020 of their rates of maternal mortality and also are dying at disproportionately high rates as well. These are very disturbing outcomes because I think a lot of people believe that in the United States of America, we should not be having these issues, that we have enough resources and we're wealthy enough that every woman should not have to experience these kinds of poor outcomes. But the reality is, is that we are really failing so many moms and so many babies as well. You know, the other part of the story, and I think it's something that we can't ignore when we talk about maternal health, because maternal health has such an impact on infant health. But we have also seen disturbing rates of premature birth, babies that are born too sick and too soon. Now, the last report card that the March Times issued around premature birth, we did see a very, very slight decline in premature birth from 10.2 to 10.1%. But the preterm birth rate did not decline for all moms. Uh, In fact, for Black mothers, the rate actually increased very slightly from about 14.25% to 14.36%. And for American Indian Alaska Native mothers, it also increased slightly from 11.5 to 11.6%. So we have a lot of work to do in protecting and preserving the health of moms and babies. And what we know is that in order to increase the health of babies, we do need to have healthier moms. The two very much go together. So at the March Times, we're very focused on this, uh, around these issues around maternal and infant health, and also very focused on the health inequities that exist across these areas. Yeah, I was really struck by just the findings of your 2021 report card and the disparities and variation in outcomes for women of color and their infants from state to state, even here in the United States. And across the country, we get a grade of C minus, which is pretty subpar to begin with. And many states are well below that. So maybe if you could summarize your 21 report card, what really stood out to you there in terms of those findings? And probably more importantly, what are you all at the March of Dimes doing to try and close those gaps? Well, I think, as you mentioned, the report card is something we've issued every year for many years. And it has traditionally been focused mostly on premature birth, because obviously that's one of the biggest issues that we work on at the March Dimes is really trying to understand more about why babies are born prematurely, the underlying causes of premature birth, and what we can obviously do to prevent it. What we've done over the last couple of years, and every year it gets a little little bit better, (laughs) and we add more and more data to it, Mm -hmm. is we've started to add more information about maternal health. Because again, we believe that a, a lot of the reasons why sometimes babies are born prematurely is because of health issues having to do with the mother, maternal health complications that are then impacting the health of the baby. 
And so again, these report cards are really trying to serve as a way to have the conversation and a way to move the needle on public awareness and policy change and the ways in which we improve care for women across the board. And it's especially true that we're trying to really underscore the importance of making sure that every mom and every baby is as healthy as possible. And again, the fact that the report card points out these incredible disparities is really quite striking, and it's something that we have to pay uh, attention to. We look at the issue of the report cards as being something that we hope can actually begin to move the needle on outcomes, especially for women of color and babies of color. You know, when we look at the fact that premature birth in this country actually slightly declined in the past year, but then actually inclined for various groups, it causes us to have to understand what are the issues that are impacting the health of Black mothers and Black babies or Indigenous women and Indigenous babies. Those are some of the stark disparities that we hope to try to draw attention to. I also think it's really important to understand a lot around why these health outcomes are occurring, that a lot of us tend to believe that a lot of these health outcomes are really the result of maybe what happens in the doctor's office or the hospital. But the reality is, is that our health is primarily determined by how we live. And so part of the report card is also looking at what we call social determinants of health, trying to determine the vulnerability of mothers in their communities, whether or not they have access to safe, decent, affordable housing, um, high quality jobs that offer a sufficient income for them to support themselves and their families, whether or not they live in safe neighborhoods, all these things can really impact overall health. And it's especially true that it can impact the health of a woman when she's pregnant, a person when they're pregnant, and certainly after the baby comes in that postpartum period. So there's a lot that we're trying to do in the report cards, but we think it's a very valuable resource for people who really want to try to focus on driving change and do so using data and evidence to uh, put in place changes that can be measured over time. I'm speaking with the president and CEO of the March of Dimes, Stacy Stewart. We'll be back right after this. As an employer, your workforce is looking at you to support them through ups, downs, and everywhere it matters most. And nothing matters more than family, especially a new addition to a family. But many new parents are struggling with mental health, juggling work and family, staying healthy, and finding the support they need to and through every stage of the family building process. I'm Gina Nevisar. I'm a working mom of three and an avid believer that everyone deserves to have a happy, healthy family. And that's why I founded Ovia Health, to ensure people everywhere have access to a wide range of women's and family health services. Parents, especially women, are calling out for support and a helping hand to navigate the joys and challenges of working parenthood. Access to digital health tools proven to improve physical and mental health outcomes means healthier pregnancies, confident working parents, and healthier employees. Visit oviahealth.com to learn more. I just want to put a plug in for anybody who has not reviewed your report card. It is unbelievably comprehensive, incredibly detailed, state-by-state summaries with recommendations at a macro level and a state level. So really well done and very thorough assessment. And again, outlines some actionable steps that can be taken to address 
the disparities in the outcomes. And, and I'm so glad you mentioned the social determinants of health. And I do think many people assume it is just poor health care or lack of health care, which of course are contributing factors, but it is all the other things that you just mentioned around the social determinants of health and fundamental systemic racism that exists in our care delivery environment. So I'm, I'm really glad that you you highlighted that just now in your remarks, and I know it is in your report as well. Anything else you would care to mention in terms of disparities or kind of root causes that lead to the differences in these outcomes? Sure. Well, I think one of the things that we are working on at the March Dimes is trying to peel back the various layers of why we are having the maternal and infant health crisis that we face. And some of them you just mentioned in terms of the social determinants of health, those social and community factors that really influence our health overall. Those are things that we can't ignore. We know that transportation issues, uh, access to good housing, access to good incomes, all those things, again, can contribute to overall health, physical health and mental health. But we also know that there's some other issues that really impact our ability to maintain good health as well. So one of the things that we've done a lot of work on is around maternity care deserts in this country. Hmm. We did a study back in 2018, and then we updated that study in 2020 to look at counties in this country that lack basic access to obstetric care. And what we found is that there is unequal access for many moms and pregnant people and new moms and families to obstetric care across the country, depending on where you live. We looked at this issue of what we call maternity care deserts, counties in this country that have no um, obstetric services being offered in that county at all. No hospital that offers obstetric services, no birthing center, no OBGYNs, and no certified nurse midwives. And then we looked at counties based on different levels of care that they may have. What we found is that 54% of counties across the country have either no access to maternity care services or have very limited access to that kind of care. And really of all the counties in the country, about 35% of them are full-on maternity care deserts, literally have no access to maternity care services. 54% of all the counties is uh, with limited or no access to maternity care really is quite impactful on whether or not women are easily able to access the care that they may need. It affects about 7 million women of childbearing age. About one in eight babies are born in these areas. It impacts millions of women of childbearing age. About 4.8 million women live in counties with limited access to maternity care. And so when we look at some of these counties, we know that about four-fifths of maternity care deserts are in rural areas. But actually, about one-fifth of them are in urban areas, uh, meaning that there are places in urban areas where the care is still so remote or inaccessible because of transportation challenges that it makes it difficult for those women to access even the care that they may need for prenatal visits and for postpartum checkups and things like that. There are issues around access to care. There are issues around coverage, right? One example of that is around Medicaid. Medicaid covers over 40% of all the births in this country. Still, we have many states in the country that have not expanded Medicaid so that more and more people are able to access healthcare coverage so that their healthcare is more affordable. And even for women that are able to access Medicaid coverage for their pregnancy, 
they will often get dropped from Medicaid two months after the baby comes. Well, what we know is going back to this issue of maternal mortality, about a third of all maternal deaths happen one week after the baby comes out to one year. So if a woman gets dropped from Medicaid coverage and that's all she can afford to have or all that she has access to two months after the baby comes, that means she's not doesn't have the coverage that she needs in order to cover any follow-up visits that she may need. If she had complications during her pregnancy and still needs significant follow-up with a healthcare provider, she may not be able to do that because she doesn't have coverage. If she's got significant postpartum depression or other issues that require long-term care, she cannot get that access to care, that affordable access that she may need. So there's so many layers, right, of the problems that we face. Uh, One of the things that we're trying to do at the March Times is peel back all those various layers so that we can address each one of them to make sure that we don't have these places where women fall through the cracks and don't get the care they need putting themselves at risk and even putting their babies at risk as well. Oh my God. There's so much you just said there to speak about all the layers that I want to go back and ask you about. We won't have time to get into all of them, but I really appreciate you kind of illuminating all that and shining a light on it as you did. And what really stuck out to me were a couple of things. I think the maternity deserts and just how many people do not have any access or extremely limited access to services that many people take for granted. So I just, again, that was really stunning and sobering to hear. And then, you know, you said the access to coverage and the Medicaid example is really, again, just so concerning. And I know it ties into some of the recommendations in the Momnibus Act of 2021. And I would love for you to maybe expand on that. And maybe for the audience who's not familiar with Momnibus, what is it? And then what are we trying to accomplish via Momnibus and the actions there and the implications if we don't from a policy perspective? Yeah. So the real important part of a lot of what I just talked about is that There are changes that need to be made if we're going to address the maternal infant health crisis. There are changes that need to be made at the point of uh, where a clinician is actually interacting with a mom and caring for a mom and her baby. Then there are also changes that have to be made sort of at a policy level to deal with some of these systemic failures around access to care, coverage, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So Momnibus, as you mentioned, is really a package of bills. It's omnibus, but it's for moms. So it's momnibus, right? And a lot of people know an omnibus legislative action are usually a comprehensive set of bills that are attempting to address a particular issue. Momnibus is exactly that. It's a legislative package of about 12 bills really designed to comprehensively address maternal inequity in the United States. And it goes uh, through a variety of issues, addressing social determinants of health, funding community-based organizations that are serving especially Black and Brown mothers and uh, at the community level, at the grassroots level, really addressing things like growing and diversifying the perinatal workforce, meaning that we need to rethink how we provide care to women and to the extent that women are almost solely dependent on OBGYNs and hospitals, and we know that there's not enough coverage for them. Other countries successfully use other perinatal workers to provide care for women during uh, before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and after with midwives and doulas. And we want to 
grow and diversify our perinatal workforce here so that we can achieve better results similar to other highly industrialized countries around the world. We have to improve things like data collection and how we look at data and design interventions. So all of those kinds of issues are being addressed in Momnibus. It is a challenge when you're trying to get action on 12 bills. We all know how difficult it is to get even one bill passed through Congress, Mm -hmm. not not to mention 12. But having said that, we're really, really excited and encouraged by the bipartisan support that we're getting in Congress, in the House, and growing in the Senate. We've got different bills sitting in different committees right now. We've got... um, We've had some hearings on some bills. We will have more hearings on more, hopefully getting to a place where we can have a markup of all 12 bills. And one of the things that we're really excited about is that President Biden and Vice President Harris included in Build Back Better a historic investment of nearly $1 billion towards Momnibus. And that we think will go a long way. It'll be like a big down payment towards addressing some of these inequities that we see I think the other thing I would just say, one of the things that Momnibus addresses and that we are already acting on at the March Times is around implicit bias. So one of the things that CDC has said around maternal mortality is that about 60% of all the cases of maternal death probably could be avoided with healthcare providers who are listening to women, responding to their needs, not delaying diagnoses. And what we know is that a lot of Black and Brown women have really reported They don't feel respected and heard by their healthcare providers. They don't feel listened to. And that we know many of them have even expressed that they, to the extent that their conditions were declining, becoming sicker and sicker as a result of having a baby or being pregnant, that um, it got to the point of severe illness and even death. We've heard that from many, many of their families just because they didn't feel listened to or heard or respected. So Part of what we have implemented at the March Dimes is implicit bias training. We've actually trained 35,000 healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, and other providers to recognize if they have their own implicit bias, especially around serving a diverse population, and certainly get on the path of addressing their implicit bias in ways that ensure that every mother has the kind of care that she needs to really thrive in terms of her health. And implicit bias training is also included in Momnibus as well. So there are a lot of great things that um, we think will go a long way towards addressing the maternal and infant health crisis that we face. And it's why, from a policy perspective, we are so, you know, feel so strongly that we want everybody to get involved in advocating for Momnibus and advocating for the country to finally do something around this maternal and infant health crisis that we're dealing with. It's so encouraging. And as you said, in in many ways, it seems overwhelming. And like you said, 12 different pieces of legislation and the feasibility of that. But the momentum and traction and energy that seems to be building is really encouraging on the legislative and policy side and the, you know, the voices that are advocating for progress to be made are very vocal, passionate, and influential voices. That is definitely encouraging and gives us all hope as we think about the future. And I wanted to ask about, besides kind of the legislative and policy changes, we know that there's a lot that can be done in communities. There's a lot that employers can do. You know that our audience are largely large employers who offer a a lot of health and well-being resources to their employees and their family members. And and we survey them and they indicate that high-risk maternity, NICU, 
is one of their top conditions that they track. It's a condition that is unfortunately growing in terms of cost and trend. And it's certainly one that they have been doing a lot of programming and resourcing to try and support their workforce more extensively than they have. And we've even seen many employers over the past couple of years introduce things like doulas, as you just mentioned, and coverage for doulas. So besides that, other recommendations you have that employers and others could be doing to support women and infants as we, you know, go down this path and continue to build the momentum. Yeah, we're not going to be able to address this public health crisis around moms and babies unless and until all sectors of society are involved, including the private sector. And to your point, Walmart just made an incredible Mm -hmm. announcement Mm -hmm. of announcing a benefit to allow for doulas and their employees access doulas as a part of their benefit program. We know that this is really a huge step towards one of the ways in which we can make a big difference to improving outcomes. Doula-supported births, especially for low-income mothers and mothers of color, can really improve outcomes for babies, can um, lower rates of low birth weight babies, um, can reduce rates of preterm births, and um, and really provide support um, to deal with the mental health stress and strain that many many women and many pregnant people face before, during, and after pregnancy. So we applaud Walmart for making that change to recognize the value of doulas and allow that access for their employees to be more affordable. Another great example, too, is another partnership we're working with at the March of Dimes with a company called Reckitt. A lot of people don't know Reckitt, but a lot of people do know Lysol. Mm -hmm. So if you know Lysol, you know Reckitt is the parent company for a lot of consumer brands, including Lysol. Reckitt has been a tremendous partner with March of Dimes with a uh, program that we've called Better Starts for All. And it is uh, really an important way that together with Reckitt, we are implementing new and innovative approaches to dealing with maternal health crisis and sort of testing it out in two very different areas. One in a very rural, very poor area in Southeast Ohio, part of Appalachia, and then another in Washington, D.C., um, in some of the poorest parts of the District of Columbia, uh, where we've been working with RECID to um, introduce community health workers that can conduct patient visits with pregnant and postpartum women. Uh, in fact, our program has conducted about 352 patient visits um, in Southeast Ohio with pregnant and postpartum women to help address barriers to care and improve access to care. Uh, We have a mama and baby bus mobile health center in D.C. providing mobile health services in a big, beautiful bus um, in parts of Ward 7 and 8, which is uh, two of the uh, uh, poorest parts of Washington, D.C. The bus provides prenatal and postpartum visits to, you know, hundreds of women every single year. Um, Ninety percent of the the women that show up to this bus are uninsured and um, 32% of them have said that they do not have any other source of care other than receiving care um, both prenatally and in the postpartum phase uh, from this mobile unit. So um, our hope is that we can expand these kinds of services uh, to reach women where they are, to close these gaps with respect to access to care, to address these issues of maternity care deserts, to make sure that women have access to culturally competent care in ways that really meet them where they are, that are language appropriate, culturally appropriate. Um, And, you know, I think without the support of many, many employers and private sector partners, 
you know, it would be very difficult for us to do this work on our own. So we're grateful for these kinds of very innovative approaches that the private sector is bringing to our work um, and uh, want to see uh, us expand these kinds of partnerships. We're always open to new and innovative approaches and, and folks that want to see these, uh, these needs addressed. The last thing I'll just say about that is that, you know, this is not just an issue about doing good for society and for community. While we're, we are doing a good thing for society and for community, you know, for many private sector employers, this is about serving your own employees, right? This is about making sure your own female employees um, have access to the care. They feel supported by their employer mm-hmm. um, and their health needs are really met. Not only that, to the earlier point around um, when babies are born prematurely, it's hugely costly to uh, an employer's health plan when poor birth outcomes are experienced. And so from a number of different perspectives, mostly what's in the best interest of the mom and the baby, but also what's in the best interest of communities, what's in, what's in the best interest of a company's bottom line, it makes sense for companies to invest in this work and to make sure that health outcomes are improved. It's a total win for everyone involved. Could not agree with you more. And it's almost a no-brainer, right? For all the reasons you said, whether it's the business case, societal, cultural reasons, your own workforce, doing good for the world, it makes such good sense and really love the examples you shared. And we're more than happy, you know, to get the word out. I'm sure that our listeners, you've kind of, you've struck a chord and, and a lot of your remarks are resonating with them. So Stacy, I would love to close with asking you one last question. And it's always a note of optimism is how I like to close of what gives you hope for the future as you think about the good work that you all are doing at the March of Dimes and that your partners are doing and the many good works from a legislative and policy perspective and the seeds that have been planted there. What really gives you hope as you look to the future months and years ahead? I'm so excited just to see the momentum that we're all working to build to raise awareness around these issues of maternal and infant health and to get everybody involved. I think a lot of people hear these statistics and it can feel discouraging. But I think the most important thing is that even though we may not have all the answers of what needs to get done, we definitely know some of the things that should get done right now, right? And so policy change is at the top of the list. It's why tomorrow, in fact, I'll be in Georgia with an event that we're hosting there and we're hosting it in several other states as well tomorrow, both in person and virtually. Um, It's called March for Change and it's a national, nationwide, state-focused lobbying effort to involve everyday people to advocate for the change that we need to see at a state level and also at a federal level to improve maternal and infant health outcomes, uh, expanding Medicaid postpartum, for example, improving the access to care by midwives and doulas for uh, everyday women, newborn screening requirements and improving those. Those are some of the issues that we can take action on today. And if our policymakers at a state level and federal level know how much a lot of us care about these issues, we're confident we can make a difference. And so that's one of the things that's given me a lot of hope is that tomorrow we expect there to be dozens of people to show up in Georgia uh, and talk to their state legislators. And we're looking forward to being in so many other states uh, across the country, either in person or virtually, not only tomorrow, but in other states over the next uh, few months. For people that want to know more about that, marchofdimes.org backslash March for Change is where you can go to get more information. But that kind of energy and enthusiasm gives me gives me hope. It also gives me hope when we have our March for Babies events 
in the spring and everyone comes out and joins a community of people who care about ending preventable preterm birth and ending maternal mortality and closing the health equity gap. And there are just so many ways for people to get involved with either March for Change or March for Babies. So that's making me excited. And I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of folks join us in this effort to uh, to ensure the health of every mom and every baby. I love it. I love the passion. I love that, like you said, the March for Change, the March for Babies. We've got Black Maternal Health Week coming up in April. There's so many ways for people to engage and there's so many good things that are happening. And we are just so grateful for you, your leadership and the good work that you all are doing at the March of Dimes. We will continue to be watching you, supporting you and doing all that we can to collaborate and and endorse your good work. So Stacey, thank you again for speaking with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you. I've been speaking with Stacy Stork, President and CEO of March of Dimes. For more information about the work March of Dimes is doing to improve the health of moms and babies, visit marchofdimes.org backslash March for Change. I'm Ellen Kelsey. This podcast is produced by Business Group on Health with Connected Social Media. If you like what you heard, please consider sharing and leave us a review.